Blog Talk Radio. Your preparation station with Donna Miller is on the air. Tune in for insight and encouragement for living a more sustainable, back-to-basics lifestyle. No matter where you've come from or what the future may hold, we hope each episode will encourage you with topics, guests and stories that inspire your journey towards self-sufficiency. And now, the hostess of your preparation station, Donna Miller. Welcome to your preparation station. I'm your host, Donna Miller, and I'm so glad to have you with me again today. We have a wonderful guest with us, and um, I want to jump in as soon as possible, but I do want to do something I haven't done for a while. This is my, my spiel. So if you listen and you know this and you're thinking, oh, she's going to say it again, you can go get a drink or, you know, fast forward, whatever you want to do. I want to remind everybody, uh, one thing that we do all the time with both the magazine as well as the, the radio show is remind people not to be reactionary. Listen to someone who's giving you advice about being self-sustaining, about emergency preparedness, that is actually encouraging you, not someone who's trying to push a button scare you into buying something, convoluting the truth in order to make you take action. You know, portions of truth often cause people to panic, and you never really make good decisions in panic. We want to be able to speak peace while other things seem chaotic. We want to be able to remind you that this is doable. No matter what lifestyle you started out with before, if you're feeling kind of a nudge into self-sustaining living, this is doable. You can just take it one step at a time. And that's what we're here to do, is encourage you. So that was a really short version of my usual spiel. But if anyone starts to make you feel nervous or scared or try to shove their way down your throat, first thing you need to do is kind of turn them off and do a little bit of um, of checking out to find out if they're, one, a real person that lives the lifestyle, and two, if you really want to take advice from them. There's great advice from people that talk that way. Yes, there is. But you have to take it with a grain of salt and make sure you're not plunging down a really negative road that causes you to be reactionary. So there you go. Off my soapbox for about a millisecond. And we're going to get ready to bring on my guest, who I have been actually on his Facebook group for the longest time because of homesteading and because we are homesteaders. You know, it's a journey. Now, nobody, I would say, is at one point of done or one point of beginning. It's kind of a, a journey uh, to live this way. So I'm really excited to bring Jared Stanley here. He has a lot of ways you can connect with him. So I'm good if you if you'll be patient and let me kind of list out some ways you can connect with him. We'll also reiterate this at the end of the show in case you didn't get a chance to jot this down and you're listening on iTunes. Jared is best known for he's got about 300 videos currently on the YouTube channel J and J Acres. That would be J and spell it out J. Acres. If you're looking through YouTube, you can connect that way. And he shares all the adventures of his family working to become more self-reliant. Jared and Jennifer have five kids and they homeschool, which I'll go ahead and be honest. We already <laughs> visited a good long time about homeschooling before we even started to record. Jared is a certified permacultural designer and he teaches many homesteading related subjects teaches at conferences, he consults people on their permaculture design, and he just has a great way of sharing and educating and encouraging people, so he's a perfect guest to have on the show. I want you to be able to connect with him at youtube.com, J-A-N-D, 
J. Acres. Also, he's got two other websites where you can connect. It would be jandjacres.net, spell out the and, and Permasapien. Let's spell that in case you didn't hear it correctly. That would be P-E-R-M-A-S-A-P-I-E-N.com. So there are three ways you can connect with Jared. And we're going to talk about his life and, and things here on the show, and then you might want to get connected. So, Jared, do I have a decent connection with you? Yes, Donna, sounds good. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm very glad. I, I don't know how long I've been on your Facebook page. What? How can people find your Facebook page? Is it just homesteading? It's actually that you want to put uh, facebook.com slash homesteading and then the number one. Gotcha. Okay. That, it's the only one that I know of that I'm on, so <laughs> I don't know there are any others, so I just kind of... You've got a very active group there. Uh, you're active on there, so it's not like you just set it up and on autopilot and walked away just to build a bunch of numbers. You have a, a, a large group of people that are legitimately interacting on being self-reliant and homesteading. Um, so it's a fun Facebook group. And then you have all kinds of other stuff from your YouTube channel and, and your other two websites that have kind of sprung from your life. They did. Yeah, we, we started doing the YouTube channel was the first thing that we did under the encouragement of a good friend of mine who also has a YouTube channel, Tommy Alderman and Alderman Farms. And uh, he started up his channel and was telling me about how much fun he was having. And so I decided to start one up as well and, and have been going for over two years now. So it's it's been a ride and things have just kind of followed after that. We Then we ended up having the website, got involved on Facebook, and things like that. So it's just been a domino effect. Mm -hmm. Well, how long would you say that you have been on the homesteading journey? Oh, good gracious. Uh, (laughs) I can remember being a little kid wanting to grow my own food. So, I mean, you can probably try to trace back the mindset and the desire a long, long way. But we've been on this property uh, for about eight years now. And we specifically sought after a property that was getting us away from the city, out in the county, and things like that. Still had limitations of, you know, wanting to make it convenient for going to the 9-to-5 job, but also wanting to be far enough out where it didn't feel like we were still connected to a city. So uh, I would say we've put an earnest effort into it uh, in the last eight years. So it's been um, from basically living at what would you call like maybe a suburban lifestyle to moving to a more self-sufficient lifestyle? Well, you know, Donna, we've lived so many different places. I mean, we, we've <laughs> lived in apartments. We've lived in uh, we've lived in houses that we've rented and, and things like that. And it was more, uh, there, there's been so many different places that we've lived that I think it was a desire on recognizing what we really wanted to be uh, our our lifelong home and mm-hmm. deciding that that what we wanted as our lifelong home was a place that was going to be uh, where we had the most options available to us. So, you know, we wanted to get away from covenants and uh, housing authorities and things like that and be someplace where if we decided we wanted to put up a fruit tree, we didn't have to get somebody to sign a piece of paper allowing us <laughs> to do so. So you didn't come from a quote-unquote homesteading or farming childhood. You know, a lot of people kind of just transition to it because that's what they've always known. You had to go through a learning curve. Correct, Yeah. My mom was uh, pretty big into growing plants, had a little garden, uh, everything from ornamentals to fruits and vegetables, uh, but always 
something that was suitable to our area. You know, mm-hmm. we we lived in uh, growing up, we lived mostly in suburban areas, or even if it wasn't a uh, a design subdivision, uh, if you will, it was still house next to house next to house uh, sort of setup, and so there was never much room at all. Um, but when it came time to doing it myself, uh, it was certainly a learning curve, which is where the YouTube channel really came in. And you, you kind of already pointed this out. Our desire with the YouTube channel was to not tell everybody this is the right way to do it. You should do what I'm doing. It was to be a, hey, come come be a part of our daily life. Come see what we're trying out. And when it doesn't work, we flat out admit that it that it doesn't work. I've got a video already spinning in my mind right now of another project that hasn't quite worked that I'm going to do a video to let everybody know, hey, I learned something. And our whole desire is, number one, form a community because we really like having people to talk to that are like-minded, but also to help other people get there quicker. You know, if if we take yeah. one or two or even three growing seasons to try something and it just doesn't work and, and we can feel confident saying that it wasn't because of something we did or our climate or some limiting factor that's special to us, if we can let other people know, hey, this doesn't work, then we just save them three years of trying the same thing themselves. And and I think that's what has really grown out of the YouTube channel. There's a lot of people saying, hey, thanks for sharing that. I learned something today. And that, that means a lot. Yeah, most definitely. I think that's a, that's a way of encouraging people that, look, we're, we don't claim to be the experts pouring out vast amounts of wisdom. We're We're doing this and showing you the bumps and bruises along the way. I think people connect to that so much better and I think that's a very encouraging path to take because I hope somebody listening can go wait a minute this wasn't a farmer and now they have a you know this great YouTube channel you know I think that's very very helpful um so if you're listening and you you're just like tinkering it's always been in the back of your mind you want to live this lifestyle I would encourage you to connect with Jared because he's coming from that point of view and I always like that if I (laughs) I always tell people if I can do this really anybody can do this and I think maybe the other thing some people get disheartened when they when they go out and look for information, they feel like, well, that's what this person has always done. But but maybe yeah. the person looking for information is sitting in a suburban lot. Maybe they have no desire whatsoever to change that situation. Maybe they feel like there's no way out of that situation, and they go and find information as somebody who's. Uh, you know, from day one, bought their own property, doesn't have any debt, and all this other kind of stuff. But there, I think there's too many people that don't get addressed who are looking to make that transition. You know, they mm-hmm. they're in that situation uh, in a in a suburban lot, if you will. It's just an easy example, and they and they want to get out into the country and be more self reliant, but they don't know how to make that transition, and and they're wanting to say, well, what can I do now? And I think there is just all sorts of things that you can do in a subdivision. Uh, I think there's a lot of things you can do in an apartment that mm-hmm. just get you learning, get you some experience, get you some confidence in yourself to be able to say, you know what, I'm ready for the next step. And now all of a sudden, making that decision to go buy five acres isn't as overwhelming because you know exactly what you're going to do day one because you've already done it before. You're just going to do it at a bigger scale. Right. That's extremely encouraging. So someone in an apartment can start dabbling with certain things, researching more, container gardening, sticking stuff on your front porch or balcony. 
and you'll gain skills Absolutely. that that will translate to a, a plowed acre. You know, they really will. So now you're a permaculture designer. So is that your primary growing method there? Well, the interesting thing about permaculture, a lot of people when they when they look at it online, that's the first thing they're presented with is, oh, it's just another method for me to grow food. And unfortunately, that's the first thing you see because that's what gets the most attention. And so, you know, permaculture really is about connecting all the elements on your site in a way to make you more sustainable. And it can grow. It's not just scaled to Jared on his property. It's scaled to your entire community. And you can bring in large groups of people. You can have a permaculturally a permaculture approach to just about anything. So if, if you run a window washing business and permaculture speaks to you, you can say, well, how do I take the methods of permaculture and apply them to my business? And so there's there's a lot of different aspects to it. So I, I understand what you're asking because most people see permaculture and they think, oh, well, they're talking about ditches full of water with dirt full of trees and plants and perennials and things like that. And mm-hmm. and the answer would be yes, that's the way I'm I'm striving to grow my food. But there's a specific reason for it. It's not just because that's the most uh, obvious, I guess, maybe, or the most predominant way of employing permaculture design. Mm-hmm. It's because it's how I can connect food as a element of my property. And when I say element... We're talking about different components, if you will. So in permaculture design, we look at your house. We look at whatever animals you may have. We look at the slopes and orientations of your property, uh, where the wind comes from, how the sun affects your property, what your general climate is, looking at 100-year averages of rainfall and temperature swings and things like that to say, you know, to get down to a point where we say, this is the best place for you to put that new chicken coop you want. And this is the best reason for you, best, best place for you to put that chicken coop because, and then we can tell you how a different element on your property is going to provide a certain need that your chickens have, and the, the products that your chickens make can then feed another element on your system to keep it going. And mm-hmm. all of it is done just to make a site sustainable so that if all of a sudden you lose a connection in that web, you know, we call it the life web, that the whole system doesn't come crashing to its knees. Instead, just like in nature, you have the uh, best example I like is migratory birds. Uh, in fact, I just yesterday had some cedar waxwings come in through the property, uh, and they're a migratory bird. They come through, eat all the berries off your cedars, and move on to the next property. They're a migratory thing, but they're a part of the system. Not, you know, 11 months out of the year, they're not here. In fact, you mm-hmm. probably say 51 weeks out of the year, they're not here. <laughs> But that one week, they had an impact. They ate food. They left nutrient behind. They had an impact on my environment. And you can sit there and connect these dots together and realize, okay, well, if this has an impact for one week out of the year, how does it affect other things? And so that, that's getting really detailed, and that's why people you know, kind of make a decision on whether they want to learn permaculture so they can design it themselves or if they say, you know what, I'd rather hire a professional and let them just explain to me how to maintain the system because mm-hmm. there's nuances in there that can make the system really thrive or there's nuances in there that can make it a very hard-to-maintain system. 
That's pretty interesting because it has always been kind of just touted as plant it once and don't worry about it. There right. you go. Perma- that's permaculture. You know, there's a lot more to it then, obviously. So I appreciate you taking the time to explain that. That's really great. No well, I I do want to get into a couple things about your other websites, but we're going to take a, a real quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back with Jared Stanley. At millersgrainhouse.com, you'll find both electric and off-grid appliances and encouragement to build your preparation kitchen. Miller's Grainhouse is dedicated to helping you save money while you prep. Connect with Miller's Grainhouse on Facebook and check out our videos. Remember, millersgrainhouse.com to save on all your preparedness kitchen needs. Are you looking to have ducks, geese, chickens? Boy, do we have something to share with you. Stop by ranch-coop.com. These folks build some of the most beautiful handcrafted coops for small areas as well as the farm. They are so easy to put together. It took us less than an hour and they're shipped right to your door. Stop by ranch-coop.com. Wonderful people to deal with. Beautiful coops that you can use for backyard and homestead fowl. Ranch-coop.com. Do you have your free digital subscription to Prepare Magazine yet? If not, then hurry over to preparemag.com and start getting each monthly issue sent directly to your inbox. It's easy. All you have to do is go to preparemag.com, enter your name and email address, and you're subscribed. Consider signing up for the premium membership for past issues and exclusive resources. You can even subscribe to the beautiful print version of Prepare Magazine. Visit preparemag.com and choose the option that's most valuable to you. Prepare Magazine, encouraging, empowering, and enriching your journey. Your preparation station is on the air. Welcome back to your preparation station. I'm here with Jared Stanley from J&J Acres. Um, You can connect with him multiple ways. We'll reiterate this at the end of the show as well, just not to take up any more of his airtime. Jared, the one thing just recently, and this is kind of what prompted me to say, hey, come on the show, was (laughs) your... um, because it's controversial, and a lot of people are like, oh, I don't know if I want to talk about it, uh, was the um, GMO seeds. And, right. I, I, you know, if anyone gets a chance to go to the YouTube channel, you'll see this. But I, I want you to explain kind of his take on GMO seeds, because it's a hot topic, at least when people are growing things. That's a pretty hot topic. Absolutely. So so I have a, a slightly different perspective, and I think just to make it clear, I'll state right up front, I uh, I am not for GMOs, and I think that my statement makes that pretty clear in a second. But just so there's no confusion, I, I don't uh, I don't support GMOs at all. I'm going to put it that way. Mm-hmm. So so here's my here's my perspective. Um, I I don't think that GMOs have a purpose. I think that if we were to try to find out what was the root cause for GMOs. And so take a, take a different mindset on this. You sit there and say, why do we have air conditioning systems in our home? And anybody who steps outside on a hot August day in the south, like, like here in Mississippi, might be able to realize why we have air conditioners. But if you then think about, well, how in the world did people live 150 years ago before we had an air conditioner? And I don't know when air conditioners were invented. I'm just picking a number off the top of my head. But, you know, you you can start thinking, well, are they really necessary or are they just a convenience? And so you start taking a little different mindset approach to things. So in that similar sort of mind thinking, if you ask yourself, why do we have GMOs? You start uh, 
looking at the claim that we have to have them in order to feed the world. We we start thinking about how well we we have to plant hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres of corn. And that corn has to be turned around and fed to animals so that we can have meat to feed millions of people. And and the only way we're going to plant that much of a single crop, because it looks like a big old buffet to every single disease and, and insect out there, the only way we're going to be able to do that is if it's modified. Because we can't spray that much chemicals. It takes too much time, too much money, too much fuel, too much human time that it seems so much better to modify the seed so that we don't have to spray. We'll just make the plant toxic to bugs from the get-go, and then we don't have to do all that spraying. And the same thing with, with herbicides. Oh, well, we can't have all of these uh, different other plants that we just lump into calling them weeds growing up around the corn. We're going to have to kill those, and the only way to kill those is with herbicide. And the only way we can kill things with herbicide uh, between the crop is if the crop isn't going to die from herbicide. Well, heck, let's make it resistant to that as well. But then you start running into some sort of practicality issues. Uh, it may not be well known that these herbicides aren't working anymore. <laughs> Roundup-resistant, glyphosate-resistant crops are not as Roundup-resistant as they were the first year they were made. See, because this funny little thing is that nature always wins and nature can adapt. And so as we put out a chemical that's supposed to, uh, and a plant that's supposed to be resistant to the chemical, eventually the plant says, well, I want to adapt to this. And the weeds say, oh, I've seen this chemical before. I know how to deal with this. Because every time you kill one plant, something of it remains. And that something that remains is now resistant. And I'm kind of getting off topic here because the real point of the message is, it's a fallacy. Hmm. We we don't need that to feed the world. We produce so much food that goes to waste that it's 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 shameful. I don't know yeah. another way to say it. So much food. I, there's a great uh, there's a great um, I just lost it. There's a great documentary that's out there that's uh, still being showed at the trade shows. It's not out there on on uh, for purchase or anything yet, but it focuses on food waste. And it was eye-opening even to me where one of the clips that they have uh, that they have out uh, for public right now shows a person in a cauliflower field, and they pick up this cauliflower, and he says, it's too big. It's too much food. The head of cauliflower is too big that it is not marketable. And because it is too big and because it is not marketable, it just gets left there in the field. They cut it up, throw it back down, and it will just rot right there in the field, and that's it. And he said they do about 20 to 30% of their field crop just gets left in the fields. I mean, how oh crazy gosh. is that? And that then you think, about, crazy. you think about the amount of food that gets to the grocery store, and then we can eat, you know, then then we start seeing the things that we can all relate to because we actually see it. You know, we can, we can see all the food that doesn't get sold because it goes rotten at the grocery store and just gets thrown away. We can think about going out to eat dinner and, uh, of course, not us because we're good people, but the person next to us doesn't clean their plate and all of that food goes in the garbage and things like that. And so it's real easy to start to see that you know it's not a matter of food production. 
It's a matter of food marketing, food use, food distribution, and things like that. And so there's a really great book out there by a permaculture guy called Mark Shepard uh, that if, if, that's, if what I was saying kind of makes you want to think about things differently, go read his book um, about regeneration ar- uh, agriculture. And he very clearly explains in there the fallacies behind how much food, quote unquote, is being produced by the GMO world and how much food can actually be produced by uh, what his approach is restoration agriculture. So we're talking perennial crops that look like forests uh, mm-hmm. or uh, look like savanna prairies that can produce just as much or uh, actually quite significantly more food than just row crop corn can. So, so the whole message behind this is it's a fallacy. If we don't actually need GMOs, why are we doing it? And since we don't need it, we need to just call it out of our system. We need to just say, here's an, you know, look look at it in your backyard farm. Okay, I have a chicken that no longer produces eggs. It has no use to me. What do I do? I kill it. I clean it. I put it in the stew pot. Right. Well, here we here we have GMOs that aren't actually doing what we thought we needed them to do. Let's cull them, kill them, and get them out of our system and go back to something else that actually works. Right, that propagates a new exact species next year because it's it's not been adulterated. And right. heirloom seeds, of course, um, are are something that can be put in its place if you're a backyard gardener or a homesteader versus the GMO seeds that – you know, as soon as we stop buying them, maybe it'll come across that it's not something that needs to be done anymore because money, money talks. It is the marketing of food. Well, I, I appreciate that it's a lot of effort that people are going through to try to force companies to label GMOs and things like that. Um, I personally would probably take a different approach. Uh, I would recognize that businesses only exist when they can sell a product. Uh, and if they can't sell their product, they're going to do one of two things. They're going to go out of business or they're going to change their product so that they can still stay in business. Mm-hmm. And if you take the my team versus your team approach and they say, well, we're not going to label what's in our food because we don't have to, and you take the yes, you will because I said you will, <laughs> it, it, it's just going to keep being a scrimmage battle on a football field. And I think if you instead say, hey, you know what? You're a business. Do whatever the heck you want. But I personally am making the decision that I am only going to grow. I am only going to purchase food that a I know is not GMO because there is no GMO crop that's associated with it, like a lettuce, for example, just for an easy example, or because the company did label that it's non-GMO. Those mm-hmm. are the only two purchases I'm going to make. Well, you know, companies spend. Thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars trying to market their their wares. They know the right kind of packaging to use. They know the right colors on those packages. They know the right pictures to put on there to try to get a consumer to say, oh, I want to buy that this week. If all of a sudden people weren't buying their product because it doesn't say non-GMO on it, they'd say, you know what? We need our product to say non-GMO on it or we're going to go out of business, and they'll start purchasing the non-GMO crop to make the right. non-GMO produced food so that you'll buy it. Right. It is. It is. You win more uh, by just simply abstaining from support of something that you disagree with than you do in really arguing against it because it's, it's, you're right. It's just a big company. They're going to do kind of what the market forces their hand to do. 
Yeah. And you can play a part in that direction probably easier than petitions and letter writing and, and becoming, you know, um, consumed with that type of thing. You can probably do better by just withholding your money and spending it elsewhere or growing it yourself at your house. I mean, that's <laughs> there's a big one. Back when our whole country was founded, we were a very agrarian culture. We all grew more of our own food than we did going to purchase it from elsewhere before there was a Piggly Wiggly or whatever. Yes, that was the first grocery store. Um, you know, <laughs> first one we ever, ever became an industrial walk through the aisles and pick it up and walk yep. out with it. First supermarket, yep. Yeah, we, we all grew our own food. And if everyone would just grow some, it would have an impact, uh, whether it's in your containers on your apartment, balcony, um, hanging baskets for strawberries, whatever, you're going to have an impact on, you know, what the bigger companies choose as far as their their growing processes. Well, and I think it's good practice anyway because even if you feel like you're in a situation, uh, either because you're working, you know, that 70-hour, 40-hour-a-week job, uh, you know, when you put all the commutes and everything else into it, uh, or or just in a situ- like an apartment situation or whatever, how many of us have been in a case where the winter storm came through, the hurricane came through, the earthquake happened, the power went out, or whatever the case was, and all of a sudden the grocery store wasn't what we thought it was. And by the time we make it to the grocery store, you're slim pickings, uh, right. even if you get there at all. How great would it be to when the hurricane came through, the winter storm came through, whatever, you just kind of sat back, smiled to yourself because you knew that you had something growing over there. No, it's maybe it's not the 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 multi-course meal that you're used to. Or maybe it's not as diverse as you want it to be. But you know what? When the disaster struck, you were able to provide for yourself, and then you can grow into providing for yourself every single day later in the future. But for exactly. now, that's that's one of the things that I love about our system is, okay, ground beef, some of the cruddiest ground beef out there is selling for $6 to $8 a pound. <laughs> you know, no. how how great is it that I can walk outside and if I want to, you know, it, it, let's say disaster happens here in the south, there's a bad hurricane this year, and the grocery stores get wiped out, rather than driving myself all the way to town and paying $6 a pound for ground beef, I can walk 20 feet outside of my front door and get a rabbit, harvest a rabbit, and have five pounds of meat for my family for the week. It's Mm -hmm. it's just much more sustainable in that regard as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, unfortunately, you know, I think you and I could probably do like a series of of shows probably each week. And we just... Now, based on, you know, your expertise, and, and I think we're speaking to the same people who really want to be encouraged about this is a doable lifestyle, regardless of, you know, the 21st century. It's not that we're we're disregarding everything, but we're actually looking at what we have now and going, is it fully necessary to do it this way? How can we make it more sustainable? And you've definitely spoken to that. Spirit, I think, in all of our listeners, um, we definitely connect on that. I can tell uh, from <laughs> from home education to choosing what to grow or choosing what to buy, um, we really can have an impact that can affect not just our small area, our smaller land, family, or whatever, but a larger community and hopefully um, a larger nation in in time. 
I appreciate you being with me today, Jared. We'll, we'll probably have you back uh, again. <laughs> as I'd be happy to be here. Forward. Yeah, it would be great. Um, folks, I do want to make sure I repeat where you can connect with him. Uh, the Facebook is Homesteading with a 1 at the end. Is that right? It is, and I think I misspoke earlier. You do have to put the word groups in there. It's facebook.com slash groups slash okay. homesteading. Okay, and if you've happened by the show page, you'll see some pictures, and hopefully you'll connect and realize the person you're connecting with is the right one. Um, but you can also go and connect through his other two websites and probably the YouTube channel as well at jandjacres.net. It's j-a-n-d-j-a-c-r-e-s.net. Um, you know, there's a way you can connect with, with his Facebook page there as well. And um, permasapien.com. P-E-R-M-A-S-A-P-I-E-N dot com. And definitely there's ways to connect from LinkedIn to uh, Google Plus and Pinterest and all kinds of, definitely on that site, you can connect all over the place. And I hope that you will connect with Jared and watch his journey and his family and kind of pick up some tips because I really am particular about who I want to have on the show that they can, they walk the talk, they, they know what they're talking about, not because they're self-proclaimed experts, but because they're willing to admit when they've messed up and they're willing to, to be transparent and say, hey, let's, let's all give this a try together. And Jared definitely personifies that. So I appreciate you being here. Hey, no problem, Donna. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a lot of fun. We'll do it again, I promise. Great. This is Donna Miller. I'm signing off from your appropriation station. Please be sure to tune in again soon. And remember, enjoy the journey. Bye-bye. God bless. This has been another episode of your preparation station with Donna Miller. We would love to hear from you. Please connect with us at yourpreparationstation.com and on Facebook. Tune in again next time for another encouraging episode. Until then, keep growing and finding joy in the journey.